Hey, food friends, and welcome to the Food Founders Podcast, your number one spot to get mentoring, guidance, and behind-the-scene learnings to help you understand what it really takes to launch, grow, and scale your packaged food or beverage business. On the show, you'll hear from food founders at various stages of growth, and you'll hear from me and my 14 years of packaged food and beverage experience. Each episode is packed with insights, inspiration, and learning to help you on your food business journey. I'm your host, Ainsley, and this is the Food Founders Podcast. jump into today's show, I want to thank our sponsor, the Food Brands That Sell program. Food Brands That Sell is a six-week deep dive into the CPG industry and teaches you how to win within that industry by creating a brand that you, retailers, and consumers love. Here's what a recent alumni had to say about the program. I am so grateful that I chose to do Food Brands That Sell. I learned so much about myself, my journey, and my company. These six weeks changed how I'm doing my business, and I can see the difference already. I no longer feel alone. If you aren't already on the waitlist, hop on over to foodbrandsthatsellwaitlist.com or grab the link below to make sure that you are first to know when the program is accepting new students. All right, let's dive into today's episode. All right, welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. Today I'm here with Nikki Seaman from Freestyle Snacks. We're talking about actually one of my favorite snacks, which I'm very excited about in terms of she what you have created, Nikki, with this product, and I'll let you dive in, solves a huge need for myself. As an olive lover, an olive connoisseur, I'm trying to eat them whenever I can, but as your product is figured out. And as you also discovered, it's not exactly easy to do that. And it's, you get that weird look from people when you're just eating olives out in public. So you have solved that for us all. So welcome to the show, Nikki. Can you just dive in and share a little bit about what is Freestyle Snacks? What are you guys all about? Sure. Yeah. Thank you, Ainsley, for the um, kind words. I'm glad you're a huge fan. And exactly. We try to please olive lovers. We're a product created by olive lovers for olive lovers. So happy to tell you a little bit more about the journey. So at a high level, Freestyle Snacks is reimagining olives as we know them. We bring together really high quality, fresh and delicious olives from Greece with convenient and liquid free packaging. So you can see here for those watching, this is what it looks like. We really wanted to solve the exact pain points that, that you were mentioning. So one would be on the convenience perspective. So olives, they come in these clunky jars, they're filled with brine, which I love a good martini as much as the next person. But when you want to snack on olives, it's definitely not the, the easiest way to do. So we really wanted to remove that messy process. And so all of our pouches are liquid free. And then we wanted to also solve the pain point of olive quality, because what we found is a lot of the traditional olive products are lackluster in terms of taste. It's not that restaurant level experience when you get those freshly marinated olives as an appetizer. The olives in jars and cans tend to be a bit more bland and watery and mushy. So we wanted to really deliver on a very high quality fresh olive every time you open a bag that's marinated in all natural, really unique, and again, those fresh flavors. 
So that's what we've been able to do with freestyle. Love it. I feel like all of lovers around the world are like, yes, finally, (laughs) really do solve a problem here. And what I love about this is that there is some product innovation here, which we'll dive into, but it really is a convenience. Like you Mm -hmm. saw the need for people that they want to be able to have their olives in a different way than what's already Mm -hmm. out there. And you really changed up packaging and the convenience factor, which is huge. And not a lot of people look to do that. Yes, exactly. When we were looking at different packaging formats, the pouch has just become so popular. I'm excited for when pouches are using more and more recycled materials, but in terms of versus a glass jar, it's just so much more durable. Like you mentioned, you can enjoy the olives anytime and anywhere. And I don't know about you, but I could never finish a jar of olives by myself. I would always leave a couple of stragglers at the bottom, but never have that issue with a freestyle pouch. And I'm curious, talk to us about the process of really trying to change how this product is showing up for people, even in the fact that there is like no brine in there. So people don't have to deal with the wetness that comes with olive. I just want to be able to have an olive whenever I want. Was that a large innovation challenge that you had to overcome? And how did you go about that? Yeah, so I think there's two points that I would hit on here. It's uh, the innovation from the actual manufacturing side of things, and then also from the consumer lens. So from the manufacturing side of things, no one was producing olives without the liquid in the U.S., So I called over 200 co-packers, some who had the machinery to do what I was looking to pack, and then others who were packing traditional olive cans and jars, but uh, had never encountered olives without liquid, which acts as a preservative. So it was a really challenging road finding someone to work with and partner on for this. Out of the 200, one ended up sticking, and that was the first partner we began working with. We still work with them today. But to convince a manufacturer, which is an older, more old school industry, innovation is, of course, happening. But to take a risk on this brand new idea with no sales behind it is definitely risky. So hard to find a partner, but I'm really glad that we did. And it was a ton of testing and learning as well, working with different process authorities since it's an acidified product and really different food scientists to figure out how do we keep the product as we want it without using any preservatives or artificial ingredients. It took many months, but then we were able to get there. So I would say advice on that is to just not give up. And funny enough, the one co-packer that we did end up working with, my initial outreach actually went to spam. And somehow, some way, they were able to dig it up months later while I was still in this process. And yeah, I think everything happens for a reason. But And then on the, the consumer front, there's definitely some challenges because most consumers have never seen olives without the liquid in a pouch format. There's been a little bit of education required around that, which I think a lot of new Brands and new products have to go through that process anyway. When you see the pouch, you might think, oh, these olives are dried. It's like a chip or it's not quite an olive as you would expect it. And so we've really tried with our marketing efforts across social media and influencers, as well as how we did the packaging design and the different claims that we have to portray. This is like the olive bar in a bag, the olives 
are moist, which I know some people hate that word. Uh, they're very fresh, they're plump, they're juicy, savory, and it's exactly what you would want out of a, a, an olive. I think we're still on the journey there with getting people to convert over or try olives in pouches, but it's definitely a roller coaster ride on the up and up. And both ends of it, it what I find so interesting is that it seems like such a simple piece in some way. You're like, it's olives. They've been around forever. All I want to do is get rid of the brine, change the packaging and make it easier for consumers. And yet you're faced with these challenges on both ends, right? Calling 200 co-packers takes a lot of tenacity. A lot of people might be like, no, this isn't possible, or I'm going to have to buy my own machinery but you kept going on that. And then on the flip side with consumers, it's continuously educating them about this new way to do it, which always takes extra effort and everything like that, even though it's something as simple as like an olive, right? Uh, So I think that's really interesting for everyone to just be like, nothing is really simple in this industry. There's obstacles on all fronts, even when it might seem simple for sure. I always say, you know, if it's it's too easy. It's probably, you know, not worth it. You always, It's always going to be a challenge, but then it's, it's worth it in the end. Absolutely. And had you run a business before this? Was this your first dive into entrepreneurship? Had you run something else? Talk to us about that. Yeah. So I would say growing up, I was a bit entrepreneurial. I had a babysitting business and then I tried to launch kind of a version of care.com before care.com existed to connect babysitters with parents in need of babysitting services. I would say I probably didn't go in as intensely on that as I'm going in with freestyle at this point in my life. But beyond that, prior to starting freestyle snacks, I worked at WISP the cheese crisp company. And that's really where I learned the ins and outs of CPG. I think there's a lot of nuances in the space and terminology. Before starting at Wisps, I didn't know what a co-packer or co-manufacturer was. And so that was just a really incredible education in how to commercialize products, how to sell them, the different things that you need to think about to be successful in CPG. And then prior to that, I was in management consulting, which I think that really helped to just build my foundation of business fundamentals and communication skills and how to structure thoughts and bucket ideas. And so I think those two experiences were really strong and critical into giving me the confidence to start my own business. So I I always think it is great to get a little bit of experience. It doesn't even have to be directly in starting a business, but just to to understand how to go about things, right? Your past experiences are always going to inform your ideas for the future. And I think been really helpful with freestyle but yeah officially this is my first venture into entrepreneurship nice and you've gone in like full head on and not an easy piece too in terms of trying to change consumers beliefs and behaviors can you dive in a little bit more about how you have been trying to overcome the consumer challenge around just change in perception of how they're used to a product. I know we've been doing some pieces on social and marketing. Can you dive in a little bit more about how you have been going about that? What's worked? What hasn't worked? Anything that you've learned around trying to get consumers to look 
at a category that they already know, a product that they already know, but we're asking them to take a leap and try it in a different way? Yeah, no, great question. I think, first of all, it, it starts with packaging design. So, you know, from my experience at WISPs, I recognize how important the packaging design was. You have five seconds to grab a consumer's attention to make them pick up the product off the shelf. And so that's where um, a big portion of my investment went to actually launch the brand. And I worked with Pulp and Wire. They were fantastic. And we really were very thoughtful and methodical about how to design the pouch to make it as clear about what the product is and as appetizing to get consumers who might be going to the olive aisle for a private label jar, for instance, and then getting them to select this more premium product and having the right design elements in place to lead to that consumer decision. And then... I think that's where it all starts. But what's really been working well for us is secondary displays. So we typically are merchandised in the traditional olive aisle, but we've really seen incredible ramps in our sales movement velocity when we show up in other areas of the store where people would also be searching for olives. So one of our most successful merchandising campaigns was on top of the salad bar at Whole Foods. So I think folks are going there, they're building their own salad, they might be stopping at the hot bar, and then they see these beautiful pouches on top that really grab their attention. And it's perfect because they think they can add the olives to their salad, they can have it as a side to their salad, or they could just save it as a snack to have later while they're in this uh, healthier mindset. Um, I think you know, merchandising in places that the olives pair really well with. We've also shown up specialty cheeses, more of the grab and go section. I think that's another right way that we've been able to reach consumers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Get them where they're in that mindset. And you're right, your pa- your packaging is beautiful. I think your packaging is so beautiful. And my gosh, what a fresh take on <laughs> this industry. Oh my goodness. When you go through the olive aisle, it is and dusty and this is such a breath of fresh air for that consumer who let's be honest packaging helps sell them on a lot of different pieces it really helps connect people and you've done a really great job with that when you talk about getting secondary displays being in stores talk to me about the journey of your ability to get in stores did you go directly to using a broker and a distributor right away Were you in stores trying to sell yourself at the beginning? What was that like? Yeah, so when I launched the product, I always had the strategy of retail. But since I didn't go the typical farmer's market path, I started online to prove out the proof of concept, make sure people liked the taste of the product, see if I could make any kind of tweaks from that point on, just based on that initial online consumer feedback. But that went super well, checked all of the boxes right away. So then that gave me the ability to start selling into retail. And I'm based in Atlanta. So I just went door to door, local retailers trying to sell on the product. And I tried to diversify where we were selling as well. Again, as more of a test and learn experiment to see where we were going to do the best. Because olives are so versatile, not only can they show up in grocery, but they can show up in uh, juice and smoothie stores or in gyms, in liquor stores to pair with wine or vodka. There were really these endless options. So I just went door to door in Atlanta, putting in product, 
seeing how it sold, I would go in every couple of days, count the number of couches still on shelf, and then would leverage that local sales data to go and pitch to some more regional players. So then we started working with Central Market and Fresh Time, who are customers that I still absolutely love working with. And then we had seen really strong data in the juice and smoothie channel in Atlanta. So then we started working with Juice Press in New York, and that's also been a great partnership. And then from there, leverage the regional data that we were seeing to go and present more nationally. We really took this kind of structured tiered approach. Um, and then we were able to partner with Whole Foods on a national scale, another incredible partnership, and just continuing to leverage the data that we're seeing, figuring out what works, and then whatever works, doubling down on and growing from there. So that's the approach that I took in terms of brokers. I worked with a broker for Whole Foods, which I think was extremely helpful. And then the, the issue with brokers when you're starting out is if you don't have all of the distribution centers open with a distributor, then it just makes it harder for some of the regional chains that are 30, 40 stores to say a quick yes. So I think it makes, so then I think it makes sense to start working with brokers once you do have more of that national reach and uh, more availability in DCs. We did actually just bring in uh, a full-time sales hire, which I'm super excited about. Up until now, it's been just me pounding the pavement and trying to get as many warm introductions to buyers as possible, but really excited to grow that arm of the business to help accelerate our sales. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great like next hire too. Because it's such yeah. a key role. Exactly. Yeah. I'm super excited about it. Nice. And for you, one of the things that I really get when we're speaking is just all the different facets. Obviously, everyone running a food business knows that there's so many different pieces to it. There's the data analytics, there's the marketing, there's the sales, there's the product operation, product delivery, all of these pieces. For you, what has been the area of the business that has been like the greatest learning curve for you where you've really had to adapt maybe some different ways of going about things, really had to get curious? And, and what has that looked like for you? Because it is this newer product, I learned alongside my co-packer exactly how we produce this. I did the recipe development in my kitchen to figure out which flavors we would want to launch. And so... I think I've had the most fun with operations, but it's also been the most challenging for me. And that was actually my first hire was in operations just because we kept running out of product. We couldn't keep up with the sales. I was like, I think this is a me problem. So let's bring in someone else to help manage this. But I think the operations piece of it's fascinating because there's so many different things that you can learn. I know way more about olives than I ever thought I would and how they interact with different things. Because at the end of the day, olives are fruit similar to other companies, maybe like a spindrift that deals with fresh fruit. It's like, how do you handle the different crop harvests and what do you have to know about it? I think it's been really fun learning all of those nuances, but like I mentioned again, always challenging. <laughs> yeah. There's so many different pieces of it. And it's great that you like know where those opportunity points have been for you. And you, you seem very open to have been leaning into hire the people to solve the problems that, that you see come up and obstacles that come up. I think it's important to, you know, recognize where you might not be as strong and 
seek out help and support because after talking with many founders at the end of the day, it sounds like people are really the key ingredient to a successful business and just making sure you have the right people in place on your team to really enable and unlock that success. Absolutely. Okay, I have to ask, what is your favorite type of olive? Oh, this is a good question. I would say our lemon garlic olives are my favorite hands down. The original are also super delicious. So it's made with a Greek green olive, which is from typically the region of Halkidiki. And I just think it has a really nice, it's a firm kind of texture. It's very crisp, has a nice color. If I had to pick a runner up, I also love Castelvetrano olives from Italy, but those pose their own operational challenges of their own. It's a really interesting product. It's also more expensive. So, you know, we'll see if we innovate in that direction, but those olives are typically considered the gateway olive because they're very nice and mild and and buttery in taste. That's so interesting that you say that they're the gateway olive because (laughs) that honestly was my gateway olive. I hated olives before it would, I was someone that would be on my salad and I'd be like, Oh, the salad's gross. And I tried those and I was like, what is this? I love this. I always wanted to enjoy olives. And now I'm like every type of olive I'm obsessed with as long as it's like good quality. But that was my gateway. That's so funny. I didn't know that this was the gateway olive. Yeah, we're trying We're trying to be the gateway olive for, for many as well. I think our green olives lend themselves well to that. And just from family and friends who have tried the product solely as, an, as a nicety to me, that I've changed a lot of people's minds. And I like to say we, we're converting them to the dark green side. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I'm curious. So you mentioned a couple of different retailers where people can find you right now. Where else can people find you? And are you still selling online? What does that look like? Yeah, we're still selling online. Amazon continues to be a really exciting and growing business for us. So can definitely find us on Amazon. You have subscribe and save there. And then other great retailers to find us at would be Whole Foods, We're in Total Wine across the East Coast. We're in the Fresh Market. We're in Schnucks Central Market, Erewhon on the West Coast, trying to get some more West Coast penetration. But um, yeah, I think Whole Foods and Amazon is where you can find us most widely available across the country. Great. And then just to wrap things up, I'm curious for anyone who is in the early stages of their food business, who's maybe coming up against obstacles with no co-packer is able to do what I need them to do. Cause I think this is a piece a lot of people face. What, what advice would you have for someone who's maybe stuck there? Yeah, I would say just continue to have as much grit as possible, which, you know, the components of that are passion and perseverance. So I, I never take no as the final answer. Even if I he- hear that from a buyer, I'm like, oh, that just means not now. I'll reach back out in six or 12 months. Um, same thing with co-packers. You just have to keep pounding the pavement, knocking on doors. And if you have enough passion and perseverance, then I think it does all end up happening. And then at the end of the day, it's really incredible to see a product that started as an idea you've brought it to life and now not only does it exist in the real world but you have so many people strangers enjoying the product having it as part of their daily diet and it's a really incredible feeling so yeah not giving up is is definitely the the biggest piece of advice I would give 
Yeah, that's really helpful. Nikki, thank you so much for sharing your story and thank you for not giving up and bringing freestyle snacks to the market, getting this out to everyone. I feel like you've solved this problem for a lot of people, a lot of people that just didn't even know that there was a solution, but it takes food founders like you who go out, see the problem and they're like, hey, no, I can solve this. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for having me on. That's it for this week, food friend. Thanks for tuning in. If the show helped you in any way, please go ahead and leave a rating or review of the show below. I also want to thank our sponsor one more time, the Food Brands That Sell program, the program to transform how you navigate the CPG industry and ultimately sets you up for success within it. Go ahead and get yourself on the waitlist using the link below, or you can put yourself on the waitlist at foodbrands.sell.com waitlist.com. Catch you next time, food friend.